1: Looking for a newer used vehicle? Browse online at tradeandpaper.com. Cincinnati's free online classifieds. Search inventories from local automobile dealers. List your own vehicles and unwanted items for free and turn them into cash. Go to tradeandpaper.com.
0: This is a special podcast presentation from 700wlw.com. This is Mark Amazon on demand.
2: Gary Jeff Walker on a snowy, nasty, just bad Friday night. You know the drill. If you don't have to go out, don't go out. It's just bad out there. I came in from the west side about 7 o'clock and it was a bit of a haul getting here to Kenwood, so just be careful if you are out tonight, but if you're not, you don't have a reason to go out, stay home and listen to the radio. Hey, Anita Hill. Who remembers that name, Anita Hill? Well, if you're alive and paying attention to current events back in 1991, you know exactly who Anita Hill is. She's the former law clerk who accused Clarence Thomas, who was then a nominee for the United States Supreme Court of sexual harassment. And this was a big deal for those of you that remember it. The Senate held hearings. These hearings were televised. And this was before, you know, 50 million cable channels. It was a big deal. And I think even some of them uh, were at night. There was a time constraint or something. But at any rate, and she testified, Anita Hill testified at the hearings. And it was a three ring circus, basically. Clarence Thomas likened it to, and man, I loved it when he said this, a high tech lynching. And that's exactly what it was. Well, Justice Thomas was eventually confirmed. I think it was an extremely close vote. He was confirmed as a United States Supreme Court justice. And in my humble opinion, as a practicing lawyer, he has performed in a stellar fashion as a Supreme Court justice. You know, for the lawyers that may be listening, you know, he doesn't ask a lot of questions in oral argument. He's solid. Uh, His decisions are based on the law as it is, not what he wants it to be. He's a strict constructionist. He's not flashy, and he rarely gives interviews. But that's not what a Supreme Court justice is supposed to be, not supposed to be flashy. Well, guess what? After all this happened, after the high-tech lynching, Ms. Hill was determined to be a liar. But because she was alleging sexual harassment, of course, she was seen as a victim, and there were no consequences to her. And now, and now, and believe it or not, Hollywood, that uh, pillar of virtue in California, wants to make her the Tinseltown sexual harassment czar. And here to talk about this is someone who knows about the subject, and I'm talking about our first guest, Mr. James Hurston. He's a Juris Doctor, he's got a Master's in Psychology. He's a New York Times bestselling author, commentator, and a law professor. And he wrote a really good blog piece at uh, his website. It's www.jamesherson.com, and that piece is entitled Hollywood's Wrong Choice of Anita Hill to Lead the Sexual Harassment Commission. Mr. Hirschman, welcome to 700 WLW.
3: Well, it's great to be with you, and I loved your introduction. Uh, It's so wonderful to know that a fellow lawyer (laughs) appreciates the decisions of Clarence Thomas. If you read his legal reasoning, it's, it's in the School of Antonin Scalia. He does great work, and you're absolutely right. The choice of Anita Hill is not just an insult to Justice Thomas. It's insulting Hollywood's customers, which... They're getting in the habit of doing these days. They sure are. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, the Hollywood brand has been tainted in a way that is unprecedented. Uh, This sexual impropriety scandal is the biggest scandal that Hollywood has ever seen, and it's continuing, um, you know, to show how unprecedented it is. Uh, You know, Kevin Spacey, whose career effectively was over, Uh, from the allegations against him, uh, was starring in this movie that was just released, directed by Ridley Scott. Right. Um, All the money in the world, the J. Paul Getty movie, and in a matter of 10 days after the film was already shot, edited, and ready for release, a star was digitally erased (laughs) from the movie, Kevin Spacey and Christopher Plummer. I believe he's 88 years old, and I'm sure they vetted him really well probably used Fusion GPS to check him out to make sure that he has no possible accusers. Um, And they were able to substitute him in, uh, which is amazing. But it just shows um, just how unprecedented this scandal is. But here's the way Hollywood so far is responding. um, And it really reminds me of Washington, D.C., and political people who – uh, just want to show that they're doing something, you know. Right. It may not be substantive. So the Screen Actors Guild Awards, we're in, getting into the awards season. They're going to have all female presenters and a female host. I saw and that, that's, and that's going to right. That's going to solve it. And then they, uh, the Golden Globes, all of the female uh, participants uh, on the red carpet, the nominees. Uh, The presenters are all going to wear black and just today (laughs) some of the men have said, well, we'll wear black too, you know, and so it's going to be shocking to see these men in black tuxedos. Uh, (laughs) And the women are going to
2: be wearing black as well?
3: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, they'll be wearing black Ralph Lauren and Gucci. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure, you know, it'll be cut down to wherever, Uh, but it's, It's just superficial. It's harmless. But this is, you know, the next thing. I mean, I I, I expect a hashtag. We already have hashtag me too. Right. We have Russell Simmons has come up with a hashtag not me. uh, (laughs) And he's fighting his for real, for real. And then they set up this, uh, you know, modeling themselves after the blue ribbon commissions that you see in Washington, D.C. You know, when politicians say, well, We're going to look into trying to find a way to solve a problem by setting up a commission. So Hollywood sets up this commission uh, spearheaded by female executives, but they had this big (laughs) meeting. It was everybody in Hollywood, all the most powerful executives, Bob Iger, who clearly, you know, the chairman of Disney, who's now going to run Disney and Fox, uh, and, you know, Paramount was represented, Warner Brothers, uh, Sony, everybody. And that where they set up, they announced the commission, the commission on sexual harassment and advancing equality in the workplace (laughs) is the official name of the commission. And then they announced this utterly ridiculous choice of Anita Hill. And
2: it, you know, I mean they would have been better off with Al Franken. Oh, you stop to think about it, you're right. And I mean, what are they thinking, James Hurston? I mean, do they understand that the rest of the country is laughing at them? I mean, it's crazy.
3: I you know, I I've been trying to figure out, I mean, cuz I know some of these people because I work in the entertainment business, some of the top agencies. You know, Ari Emanuel was there. Uh Les Moonves, you know, the legendary chairman of CBS, these are very smart people. They have to know who their customers are. They can't all be as out of touch as airhead celebrities. But it, to, choosing Anita Hill is an insult to a, a broad swath of people. Um, you you uh, pointed out that that was on TV, that hearing. Oh, I remember. Um, And it was similar to the OJ Simpson trial. That's right. I mean, there, you know, people, there wasn't streaming media at the time and people were glued to their television sets. It was on in every office in the country. The ratings were through the roof. It was on every broadcast network and Americans got to watch the demeanor and the testimony of Anita Hill. And, you know, similar to a jury in a courtroom, um, the polls show that two to one people did not believe her. And I think those polls were probably a bit confounded because I think some of the people who would have said Anita Hill was lying, didn't participate kind of like Trump right. election polls. Right, right. And, and, but the fact is two to one, they said she was a liar and there was good reason for it. Her story didn't hang together. It didn't make sense. Her corroborating witnesses disappeared. She, uh, Her behavior was inconsistent with someone who claimed to have had a hostile work environment. She followed Clarence Thomas wherever he went. She drove him personally. She kept calling him. She even called him after she was no longer working for him. I mean, part of the reason that there was a narrow confirmation is that the Democrats knew, and Joe Biden knew because he was the chairman of the committee at the time, they knew that this this wasn't working, and so Clarence Thomas did get confirmed. And Joe Biden now is apologizing <laughs> for, <laughs> You're, you're for, kidding me? For, no, he is. He's he's apologized to Anita Hill publicly because he he wants to run in oh, 2020. I mean, he's making all the motions, and so some of the feminist groups and the hard left felt that Joe Biden. Um, Was too friendly to the Republicans on the committee and too friendly to Clarence Thomas. Um, the fact is actually Joe Biden uh, ran a fairly even handed um, chairman, uh, chairmanship of the committee. And, and you know what? That, uh, that's what they're mad at.
2: Mr. Hurston, that, that was my recollection as well. And I thought, I thought he was fair. I just remember it was a kind of a comical aspect of it was Ted Kennedy pontificating about <laughs> sexual harassment. Is like, wait a minute. Who's doing the talking <laughs> here? And the points that you mentioned before are correct. And in addition to that, my recollection was that there were all kinds of women who worked both with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, but they gave favorable testimony about Clarence Thomas and refuted the claims made by Anita Hill. I mean, it was just crazy. Oh, there was an overwhelming, I think it
3: was more than a dozen, uh, witnesses that they, they didn't have to put them on, but uh, you, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and the fact is, uh, this when Clarence Thomas uh, began his testimony, and you alluded to his phrase, "the high tech lynching." Yeah, it was so I genuine.
4: It, it, it was. was
3: so powerful. I actually put a video of it on my website. It's just worth the watch because it, you know he is—he's a very quiet man very Um, but he
2: was he he
3: sounded like thunder
2: and and you could see the hurt in in his eyes and in his voice but you're right he delivered it powerfully hey give our listeners your website so they can come and and take a look at that
3: sure it's my name run together it's james and the last name is herson h-i-r-s-e okay round two
0: name something that's not boring
5: Laundry? Ooh, a book
6: club! Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Chumba. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus, Terms the conditions apply. See website for details.
1: What if you could have a career?
2: jamesherson.com go check it out yeah and let me ask you too before we get out of here i've not read anything about this do you have any idea how much these hollywood moguls are going to be paying anita hill to chair this commission you know i've been trying
3: to research that um, i know it's going to be a fairly handsome sum because that this is a very. They perceive this as an important yeah. <laughs> job, right? But it, but it's not. You know, whatever they're paying her is too much. Absolutely. And she's been rewarded all these years in the academic world by the left, right? Um, the same people that award Gloria Allred, <laughs> who's going, you know. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's a sad thing, but it's very damaging. To Hollywood you know their their box office is down for the in terms of ticket sales for the 15th year I in know. a row and this is part of it they they do a good job of damaging their own
2: brand they really do and Mr. Herson we got to get out of here for a break but thank you so much for coming on this has been so so helpful and illustrative we really appreciate it
3: oh it's my pleasure and, and you and your listeners have a, a blessed new year
2: you too thank you sir all right, that was James Hurston. What a great interview about the whole charade about Tinseltown putting together a commission on sexual harassment, led by none other than Anita Hill. Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio seven hundred WLW. Back on the big one, News Radio seven hundred WLW seven four nine seven thousand one eight hundred. The big one, Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker on a cold and snowy and nasty nasty friday night hey we'll keep an eye on the roads for you high atop my perch here in kenwood looking out uh, interstate 71 it's moving it's moving slowly not too slowly but moving pretty good supposed to get a little bit nasty later we'll make sure we give you the weather and if there are any traffic updates but wanted to talk a little bit about what we were talking about with our last guest, and that's Anita Hill. And, again, I don't know if you're a a younger person. You probably don't remember a lot of this. But, again, if you were following current events back in 1991, you remember it. And I'll tell you, it was drama. It really was. I remember specifically in the evening watching this thing on – I mean, back then – Cable was somewhat in its infancy. I mean, you didn't have the multitude of channels. It was pretty much ABC, CBS, NBC. I don't think Fox was around yet, but they all televised it. It was gavel to gavel and high drama. And, you know, not to get, I don't mean to offend anybody or crude them out, but so much of the, the testimony and the issue had to do with, and I'm not kidding you here, you can look it up, a pubic hair, that Clarence Thomas, a distinguished, at the time, Court of Appeals lawyer, supposedly put on a Coke can that he gave, supposedly, to Anita Hill. It was preposterous. And, you know, as we were talking to our guest, James Herson, she was exposed as a liar. And there was a book, and I don't remember who the author was, that, wrote the book. It was called The Real Anita Hill. I don't know if it's still in print. Again, I forget who the author was, but I bought it. I read it. And unequivocally, and I looked at it kind of from a lawyer's eye, not that we know anything more than anybody else, but she was unequivocally lying. But she got a pass because she was the victim. And when James Hurson said, and when he talked about Clarence Thomas saying, and I talked about it too, when he testified, when it was his turn, he refer, and he's an African-American man, he said, this is nothing more than a high-tech lynching. And that's exactly what it was. And he was not crying race. He was saying it like it was. It was a high-tech lynching. And, and it, was, it was an abomination. And why Anita Hill is now lionized I'd like to say is beyond me, but it's not. I mean, I get the world today. So many things that lies that she was caught in. And like Mr. Herson just said, she followed Clarence Thomas, the man that she accused of sexual harassment from job to job. I mean, she was his law clerk, I believe, at one point. You know, she said that she was worried that she'd lose her job if she didn't follow him from job to job. What? I mean, does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And again, like Mr. Herson said, and you really should read his piece. It's really good. Uh, it can be found at his website, which is com. But like he said, too, you know, she made numerous phone calls to him, uh, her supposed sexual harasser, after she stopped working for him, allegedly because of the sexual harassment, she lied time after time after time about being told something from a democratic staffer, which she later admitted under oath to be false, but because she made the allegation against a conservative and Clarence Thomas makes no bones about it. Uh, he's a conservative and he's a strict constructionist. So, I don't know, let Hollywood do their thing, let them have their blue ribbon commission, and Anita Hill can lead it, but it's all going to amount to nothing, and maybe we'll get a few good chuckles out of it. Anyway, that's my little rant on that. When we come back, we are going to talk sports with Richard Skinner, lots of things going on. How about this? How about the city of Cincinnati having two top 20 basketball teams Getting ready to go into conference play. We'll talk to Richard Skinner about that and more. Mike Allen in for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW. Back on a big one. Mike Allen in for Gary Jeff Walker on a snowy and nasty Friday night. And I have some good news to report here. I'm straining my eyes here. I can see that the Ohio State Buckeyes are up 17 to nothing. Over USC in the Cotton Bowl, it looks like it is in the second quarter, maybe about 12 minutes left to go. Man, I think I need better glasses, but at any rate, a guy knows a heck of a lot more about sports than me. Is our next guest, Richard Skinner from Local 12 Sports? Mr. Skinner, how are you tonight? I'm
5: good. Dude. Yeah, and
2: I know you do wear glasses, Mike. You got readers, or you got real <laughs> prescription ones? Huh? I got prescription ones, but man, I'm straining to see that scoreboard thing.
5: Well, I, see, I, I get the Dollar General readers. I've been stuck for life, and, and I'll tell you, the, the the more the days go by, the more I need them, <laughs> them to see more and more things. So I, I feel you, man. But yes, it is seventeen to nothing, and uh, uh, you know it, it's funny in bowl games like that when Ohio State had a chance to maybe be picked for the, the college football playoff, but it didn't earn it. Um, I think they got the right four teams in there, to be honest with you. I think any Ohio State fan subjective would, would agree with that. Right. But sometimes what you get, you get know, one of two things. You get a team that's really mad and wants to show that, hey, you know what, we might have belonged. Yeah, we screwed up, but we might have belonged. Or you get the flip side, which is low as us, nothing really to play for. Let's have <laughs> yeah. a fun week. Let's not treat it as a business trip. And it looks like Ohio State, to its credit, at least early on, is treating
2: it really like a business trip. Boy, it sure does. I mean, 17 to nothing in the seventh quarter. And this one was, I think. Ohio State was picked to win by about seven point seven and a half points. I guess. Yeah, right around.
5: Uh, yeah, seven seven and a half points. Off to a good start. They they just ran a six six back a little action when I was on hold. So uh, that that made it from ten and nothing to seventeen to nothing. and And uh, they've been very impressive at this point. But you have an NFL quarterback on the other side, and Sam Darnold. And um, oh yeah, who knows? There's a lot of time left. We'll see how Ohio State plays this one out.
2: You know, for old guys like me, this doesn't look like the Cotton Bowl. This looks like the Rose Bowl. It does. I mean, you're, you're
5: you know, I, am not probably much younger than you are. And I can remember those, those great Archie Griffin teams oh, in the seventies and the John McKay USD teams in, in the seventies and it felt like they were hooking up just about every year and, and had some really, really good games. Yeah. The cotton bowl for me growing up was, was, was Texas Notre Dame or something along those lines. It was sure as heck wasn't this, but obviously times have changed and the bowl commitments have changed. And that's why we've got. Ohio State and USC in the Cotton Bowl
2: Classic. Well, the Irish will get back there someday. Yes, indeed. I hope. Hey, what about them Xavier Musketeers? Number six in the country, Steve Wojcikowski, Marquette's coach. How about this, Richard Skinner? Quote, a team like Xavier has a chance to win a national championship.
5: They certainly do offensively. They probably need to get a little better defensively. I think you'll see them. They they, they use that 1-3-1 zone. I think that can be a difference maker the second day of a weekend in an NCAA tournament where literally you play on a Thursday and a Saturday or a Friday and a Sunday. So there's not a lot of turnaround time. You know, league know, Teams in the league are pretty familiar with that one three one for Xavier. They're not a great man-to-man defensive team yet. They're, they're good enough, and they're probably close to good enough when they play that zone to be in the conversation. But offensively, there's no doubt. That was a – that was a really good opening win because Marquette. They just play a different style. They end up shooting thirty-eight three-point attempts, made fifteen or sixteen of them. I think fifteen, um, and they're not afraid to continue to shoot them. And they're one of those teams on a night when they just keep burying shots, especially at home, can be hard to overcome. And they made just enough to make it to make it more than interesting to really make it a battle. And, and for Xavier, look, they're a better team than Marquette. You put them on a neutral court, they win eight or nine of the, out of the ten times, but. You know, that's not a neutral court game. That's on Marquette's floor. So you took a, you took a big win. Uh, one of those, I don't, it's not a steal win, but it's one of those wins that, you know, you, you feel really good about because, uh, they're probably, you know, the sixth, seventh best team in the league and else well, you lost to them there, it's not the end of the world, but a win there, man, all right, you, you got one of those really goofy, difficult challenges out of the way. I mean, you're, not, you're, not, you're not going to Villanova probably and winning. You're probably not this year going to Seton Hall and winning. If you did, that would be stealing one. This was just getting one that you really, it was nice to have uh, and put in the resume bank. And, and now you got DePaul next. And, and yeah, yeah I, I think Davis certainly has, has got to be a team in, in the conversation. Um, don't you know They got one NBA level guy, but they got a lot of really good college players.
2: You know, DePaul, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, that'll be a heck of a game. And. I'll tell you, they're impressing some people, as are the UC Bearcats, number 20 in the country, 11-2 and record, coming off that 81-62 to victory over Cleveland State. I guess they struggled a little bit early in that game, but, you know, I didn't even realize this, Richard Skinner. 33-game home win streak, the longest in the nation. That's pretty impressive.
5: Yeah, although I guess is, is that really at home, or is that is it is BB&T? Be well, like, yeah, good point. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, you're right. But you do classify it as home for this year because that's the home gym. Yeah, it, 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 and they, they play Memphis on Sunday to open, um, open the American Athletic Conference portion of their schedule. And they will have been off ten days since they last played, and that's that's a little bit of a long lull. I guess the good part is you you, you know your players were able to go home for Christmas. You got them back with, with with plenty of time to put a couple of really hard days. I'm sure you know if you got them back Tuesday, they may have practiced Tuesday night and a really hard practice Wednesday. Maybe even, man, eh, probably not Thursday. Probably started a game plan Thursday and Friday and a little bit of, of, of that on, on Saturday. But I think it gave them a chance to maybe work on some things. And, and the good part is you do open at home against a Memphis team that, that quite frankly, isn't very skilled. But Tubby Smith uh, gets the most out of his guys. Uh, I know Kentucky fans were disappointed the way his tenure worked out, especially as, as recruiting went, as time went on. But yeah, uh, coaching-wise, Tubby Smith's a really good coach. The good point is that after that 10 day layoff, you don't have to go on the road. You do get a chance to open at home and, and, and open in, in a good fashion with, a, with probably a solid win over members.
2: You know, with the exception of FC Cincinnati, it's a pretty lean year for sports in this city. And how great is it to have two top 20 teams? And Okay, round two. Name something that's not
0: boring
6: a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, chumbacasino.com has over a 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No by law. 18+ terms and conditions
5: apply. See website for details.
2: You know, two teams that in theory at least could go somewhat deep in the playoffs. Yeah,
5: no, I I think I think it's absolutely it's outstanding, there's no question and I know we got Kentucky fans in the marketplace and And they were coming off a a bad loss on not bad loss, but not a good loss uh, on a neutral site to UCLA, and and came back and played their rival Louisville at home today, and 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 just uh, just wiped the floor with them. And and for them, I think that's a big confidence booster as well. So uh, you know, the the next the next two and a half months leading into the conference tournament time, next three ish months into NCAA tournament time, will hold our interest as will probably the next few weeks of, of maybe a coaching search for the Bengals.
2: We'll see. Yeah, speaking of the Bengals, uh, they can play the spoiler role on Sunday at four thirty. They're six and nine. The Ravens are nine and six, but Bengals are kind of playing for revenge. They got blown out twenty to nothing in the in the series opener. How do you see them coming out, Richard? I mean, they're going to come out fighting. They're going to come out kind of laxadaisical. What do you I think? think
5: w- no, I think they will come out fighting. I thought the Detroit game. I mean, it was at home, but they were coming off just those two awful performances against. Uh, chicago and, and and at Minnesota. Minnesota minnesota's really really good obviously they 're going to the playoffs and have a really legitimate chance to to get to the Super Bowl um, but uh, you know to to bounce back against the Detroit team that really had they had everything to play for too they were still in the playoff hunt at that point point. Um, and to do so with a with a, a revamped offensive line, I think there's some interesting storylines for some of these games because you 're going to have that same revamped offensive line. Can that group do it a second straight week and, and start to look and say okay there 's some depth uh, across there. There's some depth at guard. Maybe Clint Bowling can play a little bit of tackle. And obviously the potential of it being Marvin Glass game. And, you know right. he, he continues to kind of fight that, at least the narrative of that. Um, and I doubt he uses that as, as any level of motivation. But, you know, players know that this is a real possibility. And um, i got a feeling they come out fighting for him. I don't know if they win or not because Baltimore has really played sound football over the last six, seven, eight weeks. They've been really good defensively. Joe Flacco's starting to get his act together. They're running the ball. So this will be a a, a really difficult game, but I, I think I think it'll hold your interest if, if you choose to watch as a Bengals fan. And um, again, with the whole Marvin the whole Marvin scenario and the Marvin narrative, I think you get maybe a little extra effort from this football team on Sunday.
2: I sure hope so. You know that guy deserves to go out with a win, and more importantly, I think he deserves to go out with an all out effort from right. his players. And you know, you know better than me, but they sure seem as a whole to like and support the man and i hope they play their hearts out for him
5: yeah I, and i and i and honestly i wasn't sure they did that with chicago and i wasn't sure they did that with minnesota and that's when you look and that bounce back performance against detroit shows that there's still some fight left and i, I know that sounds hokey but but it does mean something and, it, and then something last like, i think for him if that was his final home game he, he goes off a winner in that final home game and I, I do think that will eventually mean something to him
2: we'll see what happens hey richard skinner local 12 sports thanks so much for checking in with us Anytime, Mike, get that new prescription, all right? <laughs> okay, buddy. Thank Bye, you. Man. All right. That was Richard Skinner from Local 12 Sports talking about XU, UC, Bengals, and just about everything else in between. Still 17 to nothing in the Cotton Bowl. Ohio State leads. Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW. Aaron plays some really good bumper music. Chills me out. Saturday mornings. I'm screaming and yelling, but she chills me out with that music. Hey, as long as we're on sports, I wanted to tell you about something, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow morning at 1030 with Lance McAllister. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to go to Lance McAllister's blog. I mean, it is really good. It's 2017, the year in Cincinnati sports, and boy, is it ever comprehensive, and it's really interesting. And again, I'm going to have Lance on 1030 tomorrow morning on my Saturday show to talk about it. But just a kind of a little primer, 2017, the year in Cincinnati sports, he breaks it down any number of ways. But story of the year. And I couldn't agree with him more, although I'm not particularly a soccer fan. But it's just so cool what has happened with FC Cincinnati. Lance McAllister's for his 2017 year in sports story of the year. FC Cincinnati's U.S. Open Cup run and pursuit of the MLS bid and the stadium deal. Got a lot of press, a lot of publicity, not just the stadium deal, but how darn good that team is. And I don't, I don't get a lot about major league soccer, but what I do understand is this minor league team went out and beat some major league soccer talent. That's a pretty big deal. And who was I talking to? Somebody whose opinion I value not too long ago in sports. It said they think that in a couple weeks that we probably will be granted that franchise. We'll be the second team to get it this year. Going on, Lance's low point. And boy, I'll tell you, I was there. And once again, Lance McAllister is on the money. Lance McAllister's low point of 2017, the Bengals blowing a 17 to nothing lead versus the Steelers on Monday Night Football, marking the official end of the season. You know what? I, again, he could not be more right. I was there in that first half up until about the last three minutes. The Bengals looked like the Steelers, and the Steelers looked like the Bengals. It was great. There are a lot of empty seats in that stadium, but it was great. But, man, things went downhill fast. Don't tell anybody, but uh, I left a little bit after halftime because you could see it coming. But that's Lance McAllister's low point, uh, as he says so aptly, marking the end of the season. And he also, Lance, uh, telling it like it is, all elements of Marvin's 15 years were on display, lack of discipline, lack of adjustments, poor clock management, inability to beat the Steelers and again I don't say that with any disrespect for Marvin Lewis because I have an immense amount of respect for him but I mean when you know you don't go deep into the playoffs and you don't get there I think after all the time that's gone by you got to do something Lance McAllister's most one of his most embarrassing moments in local sports in 2017 in May the Toronto Blue Jays routed the Reds 17 to 2 in Toronto pounding out 23 hits and collecting six walks. Yeah, I remember that. That was a good old thumping, and, you know, the Reds pitching obviously did not hold up very well in that game. Lance goes, it could have been worse. Their third-base coach was compassionate enough not to keep wheeling guys in to score. Oh, Brian Price actually said that. Well, I don't remember reading that. As of for that game, the 72 thumping by Toronto. I want to read that again. Brian Price, Reds uh, manager. It could have been worse. Their third base coach was coach was compassionate enough to not keep wheeling guys in to score. Another most embarrassing moment from Lance McAllister's top uh, moments in local sports in 2017. In September, we just talked about this with Richard Skinner. In September, the Bengals opened the season with a 20 to nothing loss to the Ravens. Andy Dalton committed five turnovers with four interceptions and a fumble and was sacked five times. The Ravens scored two touchdowns in a 24 second span. It was the Bengals' first season opening shutout since 1979. And, you know, that was kind of a harbinger of things to come with our beloved Cincinnati Bengals. Again, uh, focusing on Lance's most embarrassing moments. Mick Cronin engages in a shouting match with Xavier's J.P. McCura during and after the Crosstown shootout. You know, I was stunned by that. Uh, Very un-Mick Cronin-like. But you know what? I mean, everybody has a bad day, but that wasn't a good thing. Uh, Some of the other ones. Best team, no doubt about this one. Best team, local team of 2017, Xavier Musketeers. Advancing to the elite eight is heartbreaking that they didn't get any farther Something tells me that the number six rated Xavier Musketeers are going to get into that Elite Eight and maybe the Final Four, and who knows from there. I probably ought to stop saying that because I'm going to jinx them. But best individual season, and again, you can't argue with this one. This was a thing of beauty to watch. Best individual season in 2017, according to Lance McAllister, Joey Votto. And Lance says, Joey Votto, heck, it was arguably the greatest single season in the history of the franchise, and boy, who can argue with that? And I agree with this one, too. This was so cool to watch. Best single-game performance. Red second baseman, Scooter Jeanette, 5-4-5, four four home runs, 10 RBIs. How many of you watched that game? I mean, that was something to see, and everybody knows – Scooter Jeanette's not normally a home run hitter, but to connect for four of them and go five for five, that was kind of a big deal. I mean, you know, it's, it's just cool to look at these things. We're going to talk some more uh, about these 2017 uh, year in sports items that Lance has put forth. Check his blog out. It's there. It's really good. Hey, we got to take, uh, take a break for the news, but when we come back, you know, Donald Trump said that the GOP tax cut plan, which becomes law on Tuesday morning, was a Christmas present for the entire nation. You know, not everyone agrees with that. I sure think that it's headed that way, and I hope so. But we're going to talk to someone, and that is Mr. Lowell Ponte. We talked to him earlier in the week. We're going to talk to him about that. He's written extensively about it. Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW.
1: Looking for a newer used vehicle? Browse online at tradeandpaper.com. Cincinnati's free online classifieds. Search inventories from local automobile dealers. List your own vehicles and unwanted items for free and turn them into cash. Go to tradeandpaper.com.
2: Hey, we're back on the big one. Mike Allen in for Gary Jeff Walker on a cold, nasty, snowy, icy Friday evening. And. I have an update for you all. With about three and a half minutes left in the second quarter, Ohio State Buckeyes 24, USC 0. So, man, the Buckeyes taking command in this game. So we're glad to hear that. But also on the break, too, you know, I flip around the TV a little bit. Don't tell any of my conservative friends, but – Just looking at MSNBC. Trust me. I don't make a habit of watching MSNBC, but you got to hand it to them. I guess they're consistent. The banner headline that reads underneath Trump's very bad year. You know what? I mean, you got ISIS on the run. We're putting money back into the pockets of working Americans. Regulations slashed. The economy just skyrocketing beyond anyone's wildest dreams. And MSNBC with a banner crawler, I guess they call those things, Trump's very bad year. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm watching the, uh, the wrong network. It's just amazing sometimes how you can get two different perspectives on things, but I know what perspective that I believe in. Hey, we're waiting on a call from our guest, and our guest is Mr. Lowell Ponte. We talked to him the other night, and when we get him, he's going to talk about the Trump tax cuts. And, you know, I, I mean, what what can you say? Tax cuts have history. JFK in 1962 cut taxes and had
0: 18 plus
2: at least two or three quarters of economic growth george w bush he, ta- he cut taxes in 1983 no i'm sorry in 2003 and again many quarters of sustained economic growth the granddaddy of all tax cuts that's up and until just what happened last week was ronald reagan in 1983 and you know how many quarters of sustained economic growth did we have then? Here to talk about it, a guy who knows a heck of a lot more about this than I does is our guest, and that's Mr. Lowell Ponte. We had him on a couple of days ago. Great uh, speaker and a great advocate for things that he believes in. And he's got a theory. And in his uh, blog, and it's really a good blog, it's called pontification blog and we'll talk to him about how you can get to that he says president trump has called the 1.5 trillion that's trillion with a t tax cut that republicans passed a christmas present for the entire nation and that's exactly what donald trump said and then lowell points out that it's really a good analogy the first christmas was shaped by taxes too the bible tells us how mary and joseph traveled to bethlehem because there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city, just showing that some things never change. And we want to welcome to the show, Mr. Lowell Ponte. Lowell, thanks for coming back uh, and talking to us.
4: Michael, a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, yes, that was found in the book of Matthew the one of Jesus disciples who had been a tax collector tax collecting was was only slightly different in Roman times they would put out a they would say you consortiums here in Rome you can bid on being the tax collector in, say Caesarea or uh, Tiberius or wherever they would agree, they would bid, and they would. then the Romans would accept the highest bid. That would be paid to the government immediately, and the people who made the bid would then be given the authorization to squeeze whatever money they could out of the
2: people. Boy, they were hated, too, weren't they?
4: Well, they were trying to make profit, having paid all that money to the Roman Empire. So it was a rather brutal system. But But that. it's rather brutal today, too. I mean, when you think about it, Um, Taxes, for example, are not just taxes, they're also welfare. There are more than 30 million Americans who actually pay no taxes, but when they file they get back almost $90 billion, or just under $3,000 per family. So the tax system is also a welfare system for the bottom 40% of taxpayers in the country. Um, You look beyond that. Regulations are also taxes. It isn't just taxes that have the power to kill. It's also regulations, and the government has used them in all kinds of cynical ways to collect money or enforce political ideas. Inflation has become a form of taxation. You know, when the Fed says it's deliberately creating a 2%, but really 3% inflation a year, Uh, That means that every 10 years, you lose 20% or 30% of your savings in purchasing power. By the time you've worked for 40 years, you've lost almost all of your purchasing power. Your savings have become largely meaningless.
2: You know, and and you sometimes wonder what's the point, but I I wanted to read something that you have in this blog. It's so good. It's so good, I want to read it, and then I want you to comment on it. It says, and I'm reading from your blog, uh, Taxing Time, uh, December 18, 2017. If Democrats want to take from the rich, then they should reach into the government's pile of loot. The federal government, for example, owns 28% of the 2.27 billion acres of land in the U.S., but such politicians want government ultimately to own everything, not to sell it when money is needed. That's pretty amazing.
4: Oh, sure. What you have is negotiable. What they have is non-negotiable. It's going to stay with government forever. Yeah, That's their attitude. Although, when Nancy Pelosi also had a religious view of this, don't forget. <laughs> she said that the tax cut yep. was the end of the world Armageddon. Armageddon, which is a religious term when you <laughs> yeah, think about it.
3: You're right. Um,
4: and, and that is because the Democrats had worked out this terrific scam, whereby they put the heaviest taxes among all the major nations of the world on American business. Mm-hmm. The average American corporation pays off the top at least 42% of everything it earns in local, state, and especially federal taxes right off the top. Wow. And now they want to make some, anyway, we won't get into that. Yeah. But um, but the point is, taxes then are expected to be collected, just as in Roman times. They don't do, the government doesn't do the tax collecting itself. It, it bleeds business to death, and then it says to business, but if you want to raise prices on these consumers of yours, go ahead. And they will actually pay the taxes, and you will just be a pass-through operation, getting the government money. And so probably half the price of many of the things you buy every day are taxes the corporations have passed on to you so the politicians can stand up and say look at that greedy corporation, that (laughs) evil capitalist how much he charges you for those goods if you ever could see how much of the price you're charged is actually taxes, you would be horrified Like half the cost of a new car Is probably taxes.
2: Well, you know, Trump Uh, slashed regulations this year, Lowell, and and hopefully that'll help.
4: Yeah, and so the government um, has created an environment in which I think I mentioned the other day, people Mm -hmm. face the economy faces donkey drag, Mm -hmm. and that is the mere fact that the Democrats are there, the mere fact that they could win the next election or the next or the next means you're going to get a lot less investment in the economy. Because everyone knows when they come back, like Donald Trump has been peeling back enormous numbers of Obama regulations, but he's been doing it by executive authority, the way Obama imposed them. And the problem is, as soon as a Democrat replaces him, everything Trump's done can be undone very quickly. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, And, and so business investors... Sit here and say, well, I'd like to hire more humans, I'd like to hire people, but with this donkey drag in the economy, I don't dare put more than X amount of money into the economy. I have to hold back a lot for me or keep it overseas because it's just plain safer. Now, mind you, the Republicans are taking a gamble they are gambling that if Republic, if uh, companies bring home 2 to 5 billion dollars, a trillion dollars I should say they have overseas they are going to uh do wonderful things with it but there's always a possibility that they'll just pay off the stockholders they'll increase their dividends or they'll buy back their own stock which is how uh in recent years stock stock has been rising it's risen because companies are buying back their own shares, not necessarily making more of right. anything. And, of course, we're hoping that they will hire human beings. But Amazon, over the holiday, employed another 75,000, but they oh, weren't oh, human yeah, seventy five
2: thousand robot. That. That's scary. I mean, it really is. But what are you going to well, do? Well,
4: but robot, but robots don't go on strike. They don't get sick. They can work twenty four hours a day. They he, don't complain.
2: You don't have to give them uh, benefits. They don't join the union.
4: Yeah, and so of course this gives the Democrats an opening for what they dream of, which is we're, they're not going to call it welfare anymore. And by the way, this is a challenge too. Trump is trying to get people back to work. But a lot of people simply don't want to go back to work. They're content with what they're paid. If you were in Hawaii right now, basking in the sun, instead of in frigid Cincinnati and environs, uh, you would be able to collect about $61,000 in wage equivalents before
2: taxes. Mm-hmm.
4: You'd be like a person earning $61,000 for laying on the, on the beach in the sun.
2: I want that deal.
4: Well, a lot of people do. No, I mean, this is the problem. We, we've created so much Wealth and under Obama, 10 million people were added to the Social Security disability roles, uh, meaning their unemployment had run out. And so the government just said, Well, all you have to do is say, Doc, I hear voices in my head. <laughs> and the doc can't prove or disprove that. And suddenly, voila, you're on lifetime disability Social Security, but you're bleeding. The funds in Social Security, not that there really are funds, mind you. I mean, the politicians over the last decade or so drained out $2.66 trillion from the Social Security Trust Fund and left in its place IOUs that have to be paid all over again. Right. So this is what Trump is facing. He's gambling that companies will do things that will make people enthusiastic. But a whole lot of people, especially millennials, I, as a baby boomer, I hate to pick on millennials, but they do deserve it. Uh, they are of an attitude that, gee, socialism is better than capitalism. Why don't we just let people hang around doing nothing? And I live in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has advantages, but one is going to be January 1st. Recreational marijuana becomes totally legal, as if the state were not already stoned enough. It's It's already home to one-third of all the welfare recipients of the United States. It's already home to a quarter of all the illegal aliens in the United States. <laughs> and now, they're going to be stoned. Oh, at the same time, though, education will improve. California is declaring now that the textbooks printed in use in California schools now have to include the sexual preference of all kinds of famed historic figures. Oh, so, my gee. Isn't so our kids thing? will now be taught that Sally Ride, the astronaut, was actually a lesbian. (laughs) They'll be taught that Walt Whitman actually liked uh, having affairs with young boys and so on. Are
2: you kidding me? That's going to be in the curriculum? Unbelievable. Well, you know, I keep up on that stuff. And it's all
4: okay, because look at all these great people who can no longer speak for themselves. Wow. Hey, listen,
2: we got to get out of here, but if you would indulge me, I want to read the last two sentences of your wonderful Blog here, and well, I
4: will indulge you if you will let me give your listeners a gift. I will,
2: I will. Let, let okay. me do mine first. So just take a bit because it is just great. So the last, the last paragraph, two sentences of Lowell's blog is: "What about taxation?" Jesus was asked. Jesus said, "Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's." Jesus replied, "And unto God the things that are God's." That's what Jesus said. And the godless left. Now sees it every and as the godless left now sees it, everything is Caesar's. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. We're a little bit late on that, but I don't know. I just love how you close that and tell our listeners how they can get a free gift from you.
4: Yeah, I I have our seventh book, Craig Smith and I. Craig, you see every week on with Neil Cavuto on Fox Business. He's a monetary expert. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our latest book is Money, Morality, and the Machine. Uh, forward by Pat Boone, by the way. It's worth getting it for free, just for Pat Boone, and you can get it free and postpaid. Okay. will not cost you a penny. Uh, this is our Little Blues Brothers' mission from God, just to inform people how things like the European Union have become nightmares in our world. Okay. Uh, you get it by just calling a toll-free number, 800-630-1492, like the year Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's 800 630
2: 1492. Lopontia, thank you again for checking in with us.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd advise you to get the free book now while you're thinking about it. I'm going to do it. Six three zero fourteen ninety two. Michael, thank you so much. And by the way, I have predictions. Step into the world of power. Loyalty.
3: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the godfather. Now at com.
4: Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. ...out now. Okay. On, on what will be happening in the new year, there are mind-boggling things going on in China and in Europe right now. Europe has laun- doesn't have enough money to pay us for NATO protection, but they do have enough money to launch their own autonomous military, not under American command
2: great you know what i'm on next week and i'll get you for sure
4: love to be on with you thank you so much
2: okay lol thank you
4: proud my mother's from ohio
2: (laughs) and it's cold here (laughs) thank you all right Lowell, thank you that was lol ponte and boy i tell you what uh that's a good guest i am going to have him on next week to talk about those predictions mike allen and for gary jeff walker news radio 700 wlw And Seven thousand one eight hundred, a big one, Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker tonight, just have a few minutes before the news. Just wanted to give everybody a reminder of something. I was in for Willie yesterday, and we talked about this. Oh, geez, for the first hour, maybe even an hour and a half. A very sad story. Mr. Mark Klusman, longtime teacher, educator, mentor at Elder High School, passed away. I believe on Tuesday of this week from injuries. He sustained in a hit-and-run accident. Well, it wasn't an accident. Uh, it was a hit-and-run homicide that occurred on Warsaw Avenue uh, in Price Hill. And, boy, it was just great. We opened up the phone lines, and it was pretty much a celebration of Mr. Kloosman's life. We heard from elders principal, a lot of elder teachers, many elder students and people from the Price Hill community called in to pay their respects to Mr. Klusman. And I'll tell you, I did not have Mr. Klusman when I was at Elder. He was there. Hell, I graduated in 1974, and he'd already been teaching there for about 13 years. Started as a teacher at Elder in 1961, and 51 years as a teacher. I mean, most people don't do anything for 51 years straight, but he was uh, an amazing man, and so many people called him. A lot of emotion, too. I mean, there was a lot of emotion, and uh, he's just someone that's going to be missed. And I wanted to one more time give out the information on the services for Mark Klusman. Again, longtime elder high school teacher, educator, friend, and mentor. The funeral mass for Mr. Klusman is going to be this Wednesday, January the 3rd, at 10 a.m. at St. Monica St. George Church in Clifton. That's the funeral mass. That's this Wednesday, January 3rd at 10 a.m., St. Monica St. George Church in Clifton. And I have never been in that church, but I got to tell you, I'd bet anyone at Chocolate Sunday that, they're going to be going out the doors of that church. They're not going to be able to hold the people that want to go to mass in honor and memory of Mr. Klusman. Immediately after that, a celebration of Mr. Klusman's life, a reception at the Shaper Center at Elder High School on Glenway Avenue. Again, that's Wednesday, January 3rd, after the mass at 10 a.m. or somewhat after the mass, From 4 to 8, a reception at the Shaper Center. That's a pretty big place, but I still think it's going to be packed. That'll be at Elder High School. The family asks that no flowers be sent, but if you want to make a donation in Mr. Klusman's name, family is encouraging you to make that donation to the Elder High School Scholarship Fund or to St. Monica St. George Church. And again, a lot of people have asked me about that today and uh, after I got off the air yesterday. Just wanted to give that out. Hey, we got a break for the news, but when we come back, talked a little bit about it with Lowell Ponte. Donald Trump's first year. Want to talk about that and want to talk about the Democrats' chances in 2018. And we'll do that with local political expert Kevin Burton, Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW. Seven point nine seven 800 the big one. Mike Allen in for Gary Jeff Walker tonight. Hey, you know what? If you're a Donald Trump supporter, you know, some of the highlights of his first year in office, and a lot of people are looking at it, and I think you just heard me before, MSNBC, banner crawler under the, uh, showing the picture, I don't know which commentator it was, I don't watch them, it says Donald Trump's, I think it was something like, Horrible first year. That's what you'd expect to see from them. And, you know, uh, conversely, on the other hand, if you turned on Fox, I think you'd see something different. But if you're a Trump supporter, you know, some of the highlights of that first year are the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act just signed last week will become law on Tuesday of this week. I mean, it's going to put more money in the pockets of average Americans. At least that's what the Republicans are banking on. Again, it becomes law to land on. Actually, on Monday, another highlight, no question about this one, at least with most. Neil Gorsuch nominated and approved as a justice on the United States Supreme Court. Donald Trump, many believe, did something very good when he ended the Paris climate change deal. And I don't think there can be any doubt about this one. ISIS is truly on the run. You know, for eight years, Eight years we had a president that couldn't even utter the words radical Islamic terrorist. I mean, think about that. The man could not even say the word radical Islamic terrorist. That's an abomination, in my opinion, and others. And you know what? Donald Trump did with, did what both President Bush's, G.W. Bush, uh, and his father, President Clinton and President Obama said they were going to do, but didn't do. And that's recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital city. He said he was going to do it. Trump did during the campaign and he followed through. And these are just some of the accomplishments that supporters of Donald Trump would highlight as his highlights in his first year in office. And you would think you would think this would position the Republicans pretty well for the midterm elections coming up in 2018, but not so says Nancy Pelosi and the democratic party. Uh, they're ready. They're chomping at the bit. And, uh, and I want to ask our next guest about this, but some think that a good measure of how a party is going to do the presidential party, the power the party in power during the president, the presidency presidency, that being the Republicans, I don't know why I can't say that. How they do in midterm elections is a guide, or excuse me, in special elections is a guide as to how they'll do in the midterms. It would take 20, a 24-seat flip to give the Democrats control of the House. The Senate, when Doug Jones is sworn in, I think that's probably going to happen next week uh, or maybe even sooner. There's a 51-49 majority for Republicans, very slim majority, of course, the vice president. Breaks all ties. So the question is this. Can the Republicans keep their majority in both the House and the Senate? Here to discuss this with us is Kevin Burton. Kevin's a political strategist and a lobbyist. He's the founder of Election Strategy Group. The Election Strategy Group focuses on Ohio and Kentucky politics. And, Kevin, welcome back to 700 WLW.
6: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back. How was your Christmas? Pretty
2: good. How about
6: you? Pretty good. Pretty good.
2: Ready to get on with 2018, though. Kevin, I wanted to ask you, I'm sure you heard my kind of mangled introduction there, but what's your assessment as a political strategist and an analyst of Donald Trump's first year? And how does that play in to the Democrats' chances at regaining control of at least the House and perhaps the Senate in 2018?
6: Okay, so if you look at Donald Trump, he's actually been far more conservative and kind of sticking towards what most people would think if you're a Republican voting the way that they do. Like, for example, Ted Cruz has voted with him 93 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest problem for Donald Trump. You expect Democrats to, you know, 96% disapprove of them, 4% approve of them. You expect that. The independents are really the thing that's going to really decide what happens. So any election that you run, you can pretty much cut out 40%, 40% for Republicans, 40% for Democrats. So it's the 20% in every election that you have to focus on. That's who they're
2: all going for.
6: If you look at Obama – Obama won those. If you look at Trump, he won those. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the demographics of this nation, how it's changed, and, like, if you look at his millennial polling numbers and even Generation X, they're just very, very down. And um, the way that I look at his first year in office is there's just been so many unforced errors. Um, Tell me what you mean by that, Kevin. So, okay, if Donald Trump would actually just sit quiet and not tweet. (laughs) Yeah. And let the stock market speak for itself. His approval rating, instead of being at roughly 38, 30, you know, 9%, and probably be in the 50s.
2: But, but uh, let me ask you this, Kevin. And I think, and this is what he says, and I kind of think there's some truth to it. The reason why he tweets, he ain't going to get a fair shake from the mainstream media. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh,
6: see, I, I disagree in the sense that everyone knows that, listen, Fox News, and, you know, MSNBC, they are what they are. We know. We, we seek out media that leans our political ideology. So, you know, if you read Breitbart, you're going to get the sense of one story. If you read, you know, right. um, Washington Post, you're going to get another. I mean, there are there always is two sides to every story. Um, I just really think that how he attacks people on – Twitter, I mean, he's just really hurting himself. Like, let's just think about the Me Too movement, how he's attacking Kristen Gillibrand, Senator Gillibrand. Yes, she's probably running for president, but it's hurting him with women voters in the suburbs, which when we talk about 2018, it's not looking good for Republicans. Yeah. Um, and instead of highlighting things like, you know, he passed laws to lower drug prices, he should be focusing stuff on that or even how he did a trade agreement with China to allow U.S. beef imported for the first time in 16 years. And even, depending on what you think of the tax plan, focus on that instead of just Twitter (laughs) rant.
2: You know what, in all honesty, and and I hear what you're saying, and some of the things he says I I don't really get. You know, the one that comes to mind, and i got to tell you, I like what he's doing. I do. And a big part of it, too, is for a guy like me, an old guy like me that's been watching this stuff for years it's so nice kevin burton for people of my ilk to see somebody for lack of a better way of putting it giving the finger to nbc cbs abc pbs you know and all that crew i mean that's probably a crude way of saying it but there, there's a little bit of that in it but as an example of what you're saying you know when he had the uh, the wind talkers on the um the You know the American Indian heroes from World War II. You know he starts talking about Pocahontas. I I get you on that. I don't know why he does that stuff.
6: And that's something that you know, if I was consulting him, I would just say, just please stop. You you, like you're hurting yourselves, and if you look at the special elections, it's showing it. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Let's talk about those special elections. I I mean, how the, the Republicans have not done well. And those, the Democrats have basically taken all of them. I guess the Virginia governorship, uh, New Jersey, is it, and a couple other ones?
6: Yeah, yeah. So the New Jersey and Virginia governor's race was in 2018. But more importantly, even than that, um, they picked up 15 House seats in Virginia. And then there's that one that's actually going to be drawing out of the hat, which is kind of ridiculous (laughs) either way. It's crazy. (laughs) But... If you look at the numbers even closely, and then we can talk kind of even about Alabama, is the, quote unquote, Mitt Romney Republicans mm-hmm. that are in the suburbs. Think of like your blue ash and places like that. Instead of being solid red, they are now purple. Mm-hmm. So like when you're working a campaign, you figure if you're a Republican strategist now, you focus on the county because the counties or rural, like the countryside has gotten redder and redder while the cities have gotten bluer and bluer. So really the suburbs will dictate really what 2018 is all about. Okay. And that's really what Virginia showed us, that if you look, um, millennials and suburban educated um, voters voted for the Democrats, while actually for the presidency, uh, Hillary Clinton only won them by like 6%, the new governor won them by almost thirty percent um, that may be more indicative of what hillary clinton was but i just really think if you're looking at it and even alabama these suburbs of big cities are not as red as they need to be so that's something really going forward that if you're running races and let's just look at like lexington's race that's something where if you're a democrat those are the type of races that you need to target
2: hey we got a few minutes left here kevin burton want to ask you i'm going to put you on the spot here 2018 do the republicans keep control of the house
6: uh no Uh, on average um they lose about 25 house seats and that's what they're going to do 16 out of the last 18 midterms the presidential party has lost 25 seats or more
2: okay how about the senate
6: they keep the senate if you look at the senate um It's not really a good map for Democrats. Um, Trump won 10 of the seats that they were trying to defend, and five that he won plus 15 points.
2: All right. Hey, Kevin Burton, political strategist extraordinaire. Appreciate you checking in with us. Hope we can call on you again. Thanks,
6: Mike, and have a good New Year's.
2: Okay, thanks, my friend. That was Kevin Burton. Uh, he is a political strategist, a local one, and an analyst, knows his stuff, and he's predicting that the Republican Party will lose control of the House of Representatives in 2018 in the midterm elections, but keep control of the Senate. Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW.
1: Looking for a newer used vehicle? Browse online at tradeandpaper.com. Cincinnati's free online classifieds. Search inventories from local automobile dealers, list your own vehicles and unwanted items for free, and turn them into cash. Go to tradeandpaper.com.
2: Hey, we're back on the big one. Mike Allen in for Gary Jeff Walker on a snowy and cold Friday night. You know, it's a time of year now where you hear the top 10 stories in, you know, sports and entertainment and politics, and it's been a big year in the aviation industry as well, and who better to tell us about the top stories in aviation in 2017, but the big one's own aviation expert, Jay Ratliff. Jay, how are you doing?
7: Mike Allen, I'm doing well, my friend. Very well.
2: Good, good. Hey, thank you so much for checking in with us tonight. Tell us what went on in aviation in 2017. A lot of things. I know there was the incident with the United uh, passenger Mm. getting dragged, uh, all kinds of things about that incident. Just kind of hit the top stories for us, if you would.
7: Well, I think locally, which is where I think we should start, Mike, probably one of the biggest things is the continual decline of the average airfare at CVG. You remember, for years, Cincinnati had the single highest Average round-trip airfare of any uh, airport in the country. In oh, fact, it was awful. I, we, th- there really wasn't even a close second. And, uh, of course, we started seeing Frontier come in several years ago, followed by Allegiant, and then uh, this year Southwest Airlines. And then all of a sudden we start dropping out of the top five, top ten. Mike, we're no longer in the top 50 at this point. In Are time. you kidding me? In, oh, no. It's Cincinnati. I think it was sixty four 65th on the last quarterly ranking. Um, if my 54-year-old memory serves. But, you know, if you go to the CBGAirport.com website, you look at the fares, and, Mike, the first two are round-trip to either LaGuardia up in New York or round-trip to Tampa for $49. Whoa. That's round-trip. So when you're looking at kind of the news of the year, one of them would have to be locally, uh, certainly that. But when we increase the scope and we look at kind of a national level, Uh, Of course, I think the story that received the most uh, attention, especially from the social media side of things, was the incident involving the doctor in in Chicago on a United Airlines Express flight. That's where he boarded the flight. He was asked to get off the plane. He refused to do so. And not the police, but kind of the airport security guards, if you will. Right. the, the Rena, whatever, showed up on board, the, these people not really trained to deal with this particular type of situation, and they ended up, as they were dragging him off the plane, we all know uh, the, the passenger became bloodied and beat up. And remember, this was not a United Airlines flight, but a United Airlines Express flight. Right, I remember that. It
2: was Dr. David Dow, I think was That the is guy. correct. Yeah. It was
7: not United Airlines employees that were involved. But, Mike, the the second that it happened, the CEO for um, uh, United, uh, Mr. Munoz, came out and immediately started apologizing. Now, look, you're an attorney. You know Mm -hmm. about these things. Right. If somebody falls at my store, should I run up and say I'm sorry? Doesn't that kind of indicate that maybe I had something (laughs) to do with it?
2: I think it's called an admission, Jay.
7: Exactly. So. When you say you're sorry, you have to be sorry for something, and that's all he had to do. Now, had United come out and said, look, we are absolutely excuse me, Mm -hmm. uh, upset with what took place. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Nobody treats our passengers this way. Completely different narrative would have gone in a completely different direction. But once you say, I'm sorry, that's all it took. And then, of course, United for the entire year was under the microscope. And any time there was any issue, uh, you had a... You'd have something happen where if it was United Airlines, it'd be thrust straight to the, uh, to the forefront. And we had another situation involving United Airlines with um, some passengers that were, it was an overbooked flight. and had some other things that took mm-hmm. place. And there was so much of an issue here that United said, we're going to change the way that we handle flights that are overbooked. And, of course, many people were not aware of the fact until this incident took place that airlines routinely oversell their flights. They do so because they know a certain percentage of people are not going to show up. So, as such, based on the history of that particular departure on that particular day, uh, they'll overbook a flight by 5%, 10%, 15%, whatever it might happen to be, Mm -hmm. knowing that they're going to increase their chances of that silver revenue tube leaving with every seat taken and occasionally you do have more people show up than you have seats. It's an oversold situation, and they give out a bunch of goodies, and they normally get all the volunteers they need. Occasionally you don't get enough volunteers, as was the case uh, in Chicago with uh, Dr. Dave Dow, and you have to then involuntarily bump an individual, and each airline has a procedure for that. But there was such an outrage over this incident, airlines actually – uh, not they didn't scale back how they overbooked the flights, that's still the case, but they changed the way they deal with it. Now, Mike, if, if there's a Friday departure that's oversold by several people and it looks like it might be a problem, uh, United, Delta, these other airlines will actually contact their passengers several days in advance, long before they get to the gate and say, look, we've got an oversold situation, uh, would you be willing to take this flight instead of that one, and we'll give you X amount of dollars or, you know, the vouchers or whatever it might happen to be. And they're finding people to be very, very, um, you know, flexible, and, and that's the case. Of course, many of the airlines said, look, we'll pay up to $10,000 per person. I heard that. If we have to involuntarily remove someone, you know, bump them off of a particular flight, it makes great headlines. But, look, they're not going to do that. Right. You might as well say, we'll give everybody a million dollars because it's not going to happen. But it certainly, again, made more headlines. And this was really the year where airlines did nothing but apologize for everything. And it's really unfortunate because we're getting more and more situations where we have an increase of situations on board an aircraft where there are passenger-to-flight crew altercations. And as these happen, of course, every single phone comes right out, and people start videoing it. And the flight attendants or the the crew members are really – paralyzed to do anything because their entire career is is on the line oh and, yeah
2: it <laughs> happens in every profession but boy i've seen a lot of that in the airlines yeah
7: and of course that seems to be the thing that uh, you know gets everybody's attention all the airlines did it again and here's the latest story right and it's really unfortunate and i think a lot of it's driven by the fact mike that we all understand now that you know customer service with airlines isn't there, and we have to endure travel instead of enjoying travel. So any time that we can kind of get back at them, <laughs> we're <laughs> collectively, we're going to do it.
2: But Jay Ratliff, do you see maybe this year with the things that you're talking about calling in advance when people have to be bumped and just – Maybe some lower fares. I know we, you said we have them here. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe we might be seeing a little bit of a return to some real service from the airlines.
7: No. no, <laughs> I, I, I don't even have to think about that one. Really? It's not, it's not, no, I mean, you know, airlines are at the point where most of their flights are 80 85% full. Uh, look, with fares like the ones we're talking about, my gosh, uh, that, that's the case. That website I was telling you about it. CVGAirport.com, I think the the top 15 or 20 that's on my screen are all under $100 Mm. round trip. So when you've got that kind of thing, the planes are going to be full. And airlines are thinking, well, you know, we really maybe should treat people a little bit better. But, Mike, what's the incentive? The the airplanes are full. So if they're full, it's not like, well, if we treat people better, we'll, we'll have more crammed aircraft because we already have that. So if you get customer service, it's going to be an accident. Now, they, they want to give service, but that means they're going to have to go out of the way. And the problem is airlines are getting more and more, you know, from the time they put in the kiosk and the time that you have to check your own bag and the time you're going to be putting your own bag tags on bags. and. It'll be eventually where we're at the gate, and we're boarding through an automated process absent of any gate agents. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, uh, you're going to see fewer and fewer people, and as such, less and less service is going to be the result. We have to make our own airline reservations online. If you call uh, one of the airlines, I called Delta the other day, and it said, uh, You can hold, or we can call you back in two hours and 13 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I punched in Sherry's freaking flyer number. I was like, we'll call you back in three minutes. I was like, cool. That's that's good. But, Mike, it's just the service isn't there. And that's why when people fly international carriers, even in coach, they send me an email saying, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It is so much different. What has happened with us? And, look, when you've got, you know, uh, Singapore Air or you've got uh, Emirates or somebody like this that you can compare either to Asia or to the Middle East service level, it becomes very clear just how rough we have it. And certainly uh, I think the customer service issue is something that's going to be with us. Now, on the security side of things, this was certainly the year of the uh, – lithium batteries Mm -hmm. and the ongoing
0: discussion on what It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win?
7: overheating batteries. Yeah. Uh, some time ago, these batteries, which had been prone to, to overheat and then catch on fire, have been banned from commercial uh, carriers as far as cargo. They've actually caused uh, fires to break out on uh, cargo aircraft. I'm, I'm sorry, as far as commercial, they're banned. But on cargo aircraft, we've had some problems. And we're looking now what we're going to need to do because you remember there was this discussion about taking these larger electronics keeping them out of the cabin, right? putting them in the storage area, the cargo hold, with the the, the bag. Yeah. Well, the problem is you take these lithium-powered electronics, you put them in an area that is inaccessible to anyone on board that flight, that airplane's cruising 35,000 feet and something starts to overheat. Well, the problem then is what what, what are you going to do? You're going to have to land that airplane. That's going to take 15 minutes. And by that time, the fire could be at such an a, a An extent that it starts to affect the avionics of the aircraft, which could cause it literally to fall out of the sky. So it's a big problem that we really haven't seen many answers to. And I think that we will get to the point where it's going to be recognized that these things are dangerous. And as such, they should not be allowed on board an aircraft. Now, if you're on board a Delta flight to to LA and your phone starts to overheat, the airline crews are trained on what to do, they have uh, some fire suppression. Um, pouches that can be used. They've got other procedures that they can follow to make sure that that overheating phone doesn't become something that catches on fire or, mm-hmm. or, or you know creates even more of a problem on board an airplane. But uh, we've identified the problem. We've seen it. We've talked about it. Mike, they've not done a whole lot, and I'm really hoping 2018 is a year that we get uh, some definitive uh, direction as far as how these dangerous items that are continuing to be allowed on commercial flights are going to be handled.
2: We're talking to Jay Ratliff, the Big Ones aviation expert, about the big stories in aviation in 2017. Jay, we had the announcement this year of a farewell tour for a very venerable aircraft. Can you tell ah, us about that?
7: You're talking about the Boeing 747. That's my, right. My favorite aircraft. This thing came out in the, in the well, late 60s. And at that point in time, nobody had ever seen a wide-bodied aircraft. And when I say wide-body, I mean an aircraft with two aisles. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I think the, the Boeing 707 was pretty much the, the one everybody looked at. It had four engines, and and uh, it you know w- was nice. But when this double-decker humped aircraft came rolling along, and people got to see it with, the, at the time, a spiral staircase that went upstairs, and, and all of the just unbelievable... Uh, avionics that came with this. It was just a revolutionary aircraft. The the flight crews loved it. Passengers loved it. Flight attendants loved it. And it was the workhorse for not only the United States uh, commercial air, but uh, around the world. And this year, United retired their last one. And Delta, just a couple of weeks ago, had their last flight from uh, Asia into Detroit. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going to be used for cargo. There's still some international carriers that are using, using the Boeing 747, but you know from a from a business standpoint they have four engines they really suck the fuel sure you you've got aircraft now that are they don't seat as many people perhaps although some some can that have two engines the two engines are far more fuel efficient than the the four engines obviously on a Boeing 747 and uh... when you have a a situation with parts and things of this nature you're talking about an aircraft that's very difficult and once it reaches a certain age life Boeing is no longer required to provide the support oh, okay. from the standpoint. So it really just becomes a problem issue. And that's one of the reasons that we've seen the airlines, uh, you know, kind of rotated out of their schedule. But I can tell you, Sherry and I were in China uh, uh, last summer, and, and uh, I got to fly a 747 uh, that was coming back from oh, Shanghai, cool. back to Detroit. That We went over there yeah. for two weeks and, Mike, that entire trip, to China, where we're seeing the Great Wall, the yeah. Warriors, all the stuff. Yeah. The thing I'm looking forward to uh-huh. is the flight home on a 747. <laughs> there you go, had, my had, friend. Had we shown up and they said, well, we did an equip- equipment swap. We've got a, you know, oh. a, I would have cried because, <laughs> you know, I knew that that was probably going to be the last trip for me on the 747. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, like it, I said, a, a very venerable aircraft. Oh. You know, hey, we got to get out of here, Jay Ratliff, but I'm so appreciative that you checked in with us to tell us about this.
7: Uh, anytime, my friend, and I, I'm glad that uh, got to be a part of your great show this evening.
2: Thank you, Jay Ratliff, and we'll be talking to you. Thank you. Okay, now, Jay Ratliff, the big ones aviation expert, talking about the big stories in aviation in the year 2017. Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, did you see the Hillary Clinton Vanity Fair video? We're going to talk about this tomorrow morning on my Saturday morning show and actually going to play the audio of it. It's not as good without the video, but you still get it with the audio. i tell you what, it, it kind of floored me when I saw it. Vanity Fair, one of the most left-leaning magazines that they are, that there is, and according to President Trump, at least, it's on its last legs. Some of the staffers of Vanity Fair put together a video That was funny. I mean, it really was legitimately funny, but, you know, horror of horrors, mortal sin of mortal sins. It actually poked fun at none other than Hillary Clinton, and God knows you can't do that. Say whatever you want about Donald Trump. You know, you can call him a Nazi. You can call him evil. Call him anything you want, but don't poke fun at Hillary Clinton. But anyway... The video, and it's, I don't know, probably about a minute or so, it featured a handful of Vanity Fair staffers kind of giving some New Year's resolutions or some suggestions for New Year's resolutions for Hillary Clinton. I guess it didn't get a lot of attention when it was first published, but, boy, it did after a while. Some of the things that the the people, these Vanity Fair staffers, said in the video, suggestions to Hillary on some New Year's resolutions – Take up a new hobby in the new year. And this was what technology writer for Vanity Fair, Maya Kosoff said in the video. Volunteer work, knitting, improv comedy, literally anything that will keep you from running again. And it was things of that nature. Again, tongue-in-cheek, you know, kind of poking fun at her a little bit. And, of course, you know, the Hillary Clinton supporters howled and screamed and... Guess what? One of the ists came out. I didn't hear an ism, but I heard an ist. Steadfast Clinton supporter Peter Dow expressed outrage over the joke, decrying the reference to knitting as sexist. And he put out a hashtag, cancel Vanity's Fair. It spread all over Twitter. And his guy named Adam, and I'm going to try to pronounce his name right, I mean no disrespect, Adam Park Parcamento, who is a former Clinton staffer, put out a, a tweet with a picture of Vanity Fair in flames burning. And I don't really get the, the, the text of the tweet. It said, for those that, once again, had Hillary's back, this time regarding Vanity Fair hit one. I don't know. I guess that's some kind of liberal language that people like you and I don't understand. But... You know, I mean, the point of all this is it was a funny thing. And you know what? For a magazine like Vanity Fair to take a shot at Hillary and show the world that, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't have as much left-wing bias as everyone thinks we do. We can take a good-natured shot at an icon like Hillary Clinton. Good idea for them. Good intentions. But no, You know, after about a day and a half of the howling, of course, Vanity Fair caves and said, I don't have their exact quote. They apologized for it. They said it was not in good taste, and we're sorry that we did it. So, you know what? You can pretty much make fun of just about anyone, but make fun of Hillary Clinton, and this is kind of what you get. Patricia Arquette, she's an actress— haven't seen her in anything of substance in years. Listen to what she said, and I, mean, I got to be careful here. This is what she tweeted out Hey, stop telling women what the F word they should do or can do. Get over your mommy issues. That was Patricia Arquette's text directed at Vanity Fair. And again, like I said, Wednesday night, a Vanity Fair spokesperson put out a statement saying that the video was, quote, an attempt at humor, and we regret that it missed the mark. Well, guess what, Vanity Fair? It didn't miss the mark. It was funny. It was good-natured. It was not mean-spirited. But Patricia Arquette, hey, stop telling women what the F word they should do or can do. Hey, but you know what? That's a liberal feminist. You know, they can say whatever they want. They're never held accountable for the things that they say. At any rate, we're going we're to play the audio of that tomorrow morning on the 9 o'clock show, and we'll discuss it with you. Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700, WLW. For Gary Jeff Walker on a snowy, nasty just bad friday night you know the drill if you don't have to go out don't go out it's just bad out there i came in from the west side about seven o'clock and it was a bit of a haul getting here to kenwood so just be careful if you are out tonight but if you're not you don't have a reason to go out stay home and listen to the radio hey anita hill who remembers that name anita hill Well, if you're alive and paying attention to current events back in 1991, you know exactly who Anita Hill is. She's the former law clerk who accused Clarence Thomas, who was then a nominee for the United States Supreme Court of sexual harassment. And this was a big deal for those of you that remember it. The Senate held hearings. These hearings were televised. And this was before, you know, 50 million cable channels. It was a big deal. And I think even some of them, Uh, were at night. There was a time constraint or something, but at any rate, she testified, Anita Hill testified at the hearings, and it was a three-ring circus, basically. Clarence Thomas likened it to, and man, I loved it when he said this, a high-tech lynching, and that's exactly what it was. Well, Justice Thomas was eventually confirmed. I think it was an extremely... Close vote. He was confirmed as a United States Supreme Court justice. And in my humble opinion, as a practicing lawyer, he has performed in a stellar fashion as a Supreme Court justice. You know, for the lawyers that may be listening, you know, he doesn't ask a lot of questions in oral argument. He's solid. Uh, His decisions are based on the law as it is not what he wants it to be. He's a strict constructionist. He's not flashy and he rarely gives interviews, but that's not what a Supreme Court justice is supposed to be, not supposed to be flashy. Well, guess what? After all this happened, after the high-tech lynching, Ms. Hill was determined to be a liar. But because she was alleging sexual harassment, of course, she was seen as a victim, and there were no consequences to her. And now, now, believe it or not, Hollywood that uh, pillar of virtue in California wants to make her the Tinseltown sexual harassment czar. And here to talk about this is someone who knows about the subject, and I'm talking about our first guest, Mr. James Hurston. He's a Juris Doctorate. He's got a Master's in Psychology. He's a New York Times bestselling author, commentator, and a law professor. And he wrote a really good blog piece at uh, his website it's www.jamesherson.com and that piece is entitled Hollywood's Wrong Choice of Anita Hill to lead the Sexual Harassment Commission. Mr. Hirschman welcome to 700 WLW. Well it's
3: great to be with you and I loved your introduction uh, it's so wonderful to know that a fellow lawyer <laughs> appreciates the decisions of Clarence Thomas if you read his legal reasoning yep it, it's it's in the school of Antonin Scalia he does great work and you're absolutely right the choice of Anita Hill is not just an insult to justice thomas it's insulting hollywood's customers which they're getting in the habit of doing these days they sure are uh, you know, yeah i mean you look at i mean the hollywood brand has been tainted in a way that is unprecedented. Uh, This sexual impropriety scandal is the biggest scandal that Hollywood has ever seen, and it's continuing, um, you know, to show how unprecedented it is. Uh, You know, Kevin Spacey, whose career effectively was over uh, from the allegations against him, uh, was starring in this movie that was just released, directed by Ridley Scott. Right. Um, All the Money in the World, the J. Paul Getty movie. And in a matter of 10 days after the film was already shot, edited, and ready for release, a star was digitally erased <laughs> from the movie, Kevin Spacey and Christopher Plummer. I believe he's 88 years old, and I'm sure they vetted him really well probably used Fusion GPS to check him out to make sure that he has no possible ac- accusers. Um, and they were able to substitute him in, uh, which is amazing. But it just shows um just h- how unprecedented this scandal is. But here's the way Hollywood so far is responding. Um, and it really reminds me of Washington, D.C., and political people who – uh, just want to show that they're doing something. You know, right. it may not be substantive. So, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, we're in, getting into the awards season. They're going to have all female presenters and a female host. I saw. And, that. That, and that's going to, right, that's going to solve it. And then, they, uh, the Golden Globes, all of the female, uh, participants uh, on the red carpet, the nominees, uh the presenters are all going to wear black, and just today <laughs> some of the men have said, "Well, we'll wear black too, you know, and so it's going to be shocking to see these men in black tuxedos uh, <laughs> and the women are so, going to
2: be wearing black as
3: well, yeah, oh so the women my are, goodness. you know they'll be wearing black Ralph Lauren and Gucci <laughs> um but and I'm sure you know it'll be cut down to wherever uh but it's It's just superficial. It's harmless. But this is, you know, the next thing. I mean, I I, I expect a hashtag. We already have hashtag me too. Right. We have Russell Simmons has come up with a hashtag not me. uh, (laughs) And he's fighting his for real, for real. And then they set up this, uh, you know, modeling themselves after the blue ribbon commissions that you see in Washington, D.C. You know, when politicians say, well, well. We're going to look into trying to find a way to solve a problem by setting up a commission. So Hollywood sets up this commission uh, spearheaded by female executives, but they had this big (laughs) meeting. It was everybody in Hollywood, all the most powerful executives, Bob Iger, who clearly, you know, the chairman of Disney, who's now going to run Disney and Fox, uh, and, you know, Paramount was represented, Warner Brothers, uh, Sony, everybody. And that where they set up, they announced the commission, the commission on sexual harassment and advancing equality in the workplace (laughs) is the official name of the commission. And then they announced this utterly ridiculous choice of Anita
2: Hill. And, it, you know, I mean, they would have been better off with Al Franken. Oh, you stop to think about it. You're right. And, I mean, what are they thinking, James Herson? I mean, do they understand that the rest of the country is laughing at them? I mean, it's crazy. I, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out, I
3: mean, because I know some of these people because I work in the entertainment business, some of the top agencies, you know, Ari Emanuel was there. Uh, Les Moonves, you know, the legendary chairman of CBS. These are very smart people. They have to know who their customers are. They can't all be as out of touch as airhead celebrities. But it, t- choosing Anita Hill is an insult to a, a broad swath of people. Um, you you uh, pointed out that that was on TV, that hearing. Oh, I remember. Uh, and it was similar to the O.J. Simpson trial. That's right. I mean, there you know, people, there wasn't streaming media at the time, and people were glued to their television sets. It was on in every office in the country. The ratings were through the roof. It was on in every broadcast network. And Americans got to watch the demeanor and the testimony of Anita Hill. And, you know, similar to a jury in a courtroom um, the polls show that two to one, people did not believe her. And I think those polls were probably a bit confounded because I think some of the people who would have said Anita Hill was lying didn't participate kind of like Trump right. election polls. Right, right. And and But the fact is, two to one, they said she was a liar, and there was good reason for it. Her story didn't hang together. It didn't make sense. Her corroborating witnesses disappeared. She, uh, Her behavior was inconsistent with someone who claimed to have had a hostile work environment. She followed Clarence Thomas wherever he went. She drove him personally. She kept calling him. She even called him after she was no longer working for him. I mean, part of the reason that there was a narrow confirmation is that the Democrats knew, and Joe Biden knew because he was the chairman of the committee at the time, they knew that this this wasn't working and so clarence thomas did get confirmed and joe biden now is apologizing <laughs> for you're, you're for, kidding me for, no he is he's he's apologized to anita hill publicly because he he wants to run in oh, 2020 i mean he's making all the motions and so some of the feminist groups and the hard left felt that joe biden um was too friendly to the Republicans on the committee and too friendly to Clarence Thomas. Um, The fact is actually Joe Biden uh, ran a fairly even handed um, chairman uh, chairmanship of the committee and, and you know what that, uh, that's what they're mad at mr Hurson. that
2: that was my recollection as well and i thought i thought he was fair i just remember it was a kind of a comical aspect of it was ted kennedy pontificating about <laughs> sexual harassment is like wait a minute who's doing the talking here and the points that you mentioned before are correct and in addition to that my recollection was that there were all kinds of women who worked both with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, but they gave favorable testimony about Clarence Thomas and refuted the claims made by Anita Hill. I mean, it was just crazy. Oh, there was an overwhelming,
3: I think it was more than a dozen uh, witnesses that they, they didn't have to put them on. But, uh, you, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and And the fact is, This when Clarence Thomas uh, began his testimony, and you alluded to his phrase, "the high tech lynching." Yeah, it was so genuine. It It was was so powerful. I actually put a video of it on my website. It's just worth the watch because you know he is—he's a very quiet man, um, but he
2: was—he he sounded like thunder. And you could see the hurt in his eyes and in his voice, but you're right. He delivered it powerfully. Hey, give our listeners your website so they can come and and take a look at that.
3: Sure. It's my name run together. It's James, and the last name is Herson, H-I-R-S-E-N. JamesHerson.com. Go check it out.
2: Yeah, and let me ask you, too, before we get out of here, I've not read anything about this. Do you have any idea how much these Hollywood moguls are going to be paying Anita Hill to chair this commission? You know, I've been trying
3: to research that. Um, I know it's going to be a fairly handsome sum because that this is a very, imp- they perceive this as an important yeah. job, <laughs> right. but it, but it's not, you know, whatever they're paying her is too much. Absolutely. And she's been rewarded all these years in the academic world by the left. Right. Um, the same people that award Gloria Allred, <laughs> who's going, you know, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a sad thing, but, it's very damaging to Hollywood. You know, their, their box office is down for the, in terms of ticket sales for the 15th year I in know. a row. And this is part of it. They're, they do a good job of damaging their
2: own brand. They really do. And, Mr. Herson, we got to get out of here for a break. But thank you so much for coming on. This has been so, so helpful and illustrative. We really appreciate it.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure. And and you and your listeners have a uh, blessed new year.
2: You too. Thank you, sir. All right. That was James Hurston. What a great interview about the whole charade about Tinseltown putting together a commission on sexual harassment led by none other than Anita Hill. Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker, News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, we're back on the big one. Mike Allen and for Gary Jeff Walker on a. Snowy and nasty Friday night. It's been my pleasure to be here with you, giving you updates on the Ohio State game. Don't have it flashing up there, so don't know where that's at now, but thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll be in in, geez, I don't know. Looks like probably about seven or eight hours. Nine o'clock tomorrow morning for my Saturday morning show, 9 to 11. Uh, Again, I want to thank Gary Jeff Walker for giving me the opportunity to sit in for him, uh, not only... Tonight, but another I think I did Tuesday night uh, earlier in the week, too. But, you know, I tell you, it's been a heck of a year. It really has. We talked about the year in local politics. We talked about the year in politics. We talked to Jay Ratliff about what's going on in the aviation situation. And just a lot happened in 2017 Uh, on a sad note. And it's a personal note with me. The passing of Mr. Mark Klusman of Elder High School, certainly a down note and one that's touched a lot of people, myself and many in the Elder Nation. But the year 2018 promises to bring a lot of good things ahead. Again, Mike Allen, and for Gary Jeff Walker, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you all tomorrow at 9 o'clock on News Radio 700 WLW.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you What do you do when you win?